chapter number 9 and verse number 1, the Bible says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, and I want to say I'm glad I'm in this way, amen, that if he uh, found any in this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed there and came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, while persecutest thou me. And he said, don't you like when somebody asks a question and answers their question at the same time they ask it? Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus. And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we had to be in church this morning. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the good singing this morning by the choir and the congregation. Lord, how it stirred my heart. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would now bless this scripture. And the most important time of our service is when this Bible is open and the word of God is being declared. I pray for this one soul here today that is lost. Lord, I pray you would save them by your grace. May they have the same salvation experience that Saul had on the Damascus Road. We'll love you and thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now, we've been preaching through the book of Acts, and we know that last Sunday night we closed out uh, with Philip finding the Ethiopian eunuch and preached Christ unto him at that moment. Boy, what a blessing that was to see the Ethiopian eunuch get saved. But now the scene shifts back uh, to Damascus, and we find Saul here. We know this text as the conversion, the salvation story of Saul, who we know as the Apostle Paul. Saul Paul was a man that was religious, uh, but he was lost. And that reminds us all that uh, you can join the church and you can be religious, uh, but religion doesn't save anybody, only a relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to pull a verse out of one of Paul's writings uh, to use for our thought this morning. Paul said this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and this is the phrase I'm interested in, of whom I am chief. That word chief, it means first in rank. It means the top. It means the leader. It means Paul was saying, I was the worst sinner uh, there had ever been. And if God could save me, if God could change me, uh, there ain't nobody that can't be saved. So I want to preach this on this morning, on this thought this morning, on when God saved the chief. Amen. When God saved the chief. My spell check wanted to put shelf. Amen. But God saved the chief. He'll save a chef. Gordon Ramsay needs to get saved. Somebody help me. Uh, but when God uh, saved the chief, He saved the chief of sinners. And I, I want to look at Acts 9 uh, this morning and look at Paul's salvation story and rejoice that God saved Paul. Uh, but I want to rejoice in that God saved me this morning. There's a few things I want to look at. First of all, in Saul's salvation, we find a deliberate interruption. 
interruption. A deliberate interruption. Here's what I mean. God interrupted Saul's life. Saul was going on living his life. Oh, wasn't thinking about God. Wasn't thinking about anything. And God interrupted his life. He interrupted three areas of his life in our text. First of all, God interrupted his passion. Verse number 1 says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest. That little phrase, breathing out threatenings, means that Paul lived. It was his desire. It was his passion uh, to persecute and to attack and to destroy the Christians. That's what he lived for. Oh, but God interrupted uh, what Saul lived his life for. God interrupted his, his passion in verse number 1. But then God interrupted his plans in verse number 2 and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Not only did God interrupt Saul's life concerning his passion, but God interrupted his plans. Uh, when Saul got up that day, he was planning on going to the high priest and getting letters uh, so he could go down to Damascus and persecute some Christians. Oh, but God interrupted his plans. Uh, now, you may have planned that Sunday or that Wednesday or that day you got saved. When you got up that morning, you might have said, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to get saved. I'm not saying that can't happen. But most of the time, that's not how it goes. Oh, we get up thinking we're okay and we're all right. Oh, but we get to church or somebody confronts us with the gospel and God interrupted our plans. That's what God done for Saul. He interrupted his passion and he interrupted his plans. But look down in verse number 3. God interrupted his path. The Bible said, and as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Here goes Paul down the road, going on his own way, not thinking about God, not thinking about salvation, not thinking about Jesus. And God showed up in his life. And aren't you glad for the day when you were lost without God and on your way to hell oh, that God interrupted your life. God interrupted your plans. God interrupted your path. Your life was going this direction. It was headed towards sin and despair and ultimately hell and the lake of fire. But God stepped in your life. God stepped in your world. And God interrupted the whole thing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? He had a deliberate interruption. God loved him enough to interrupt his life. He had a deliberate interruption. But not only that, I got eight points, so I got to run quick, all right? There was a deliberate... I shouldn't have told you all that. Y'all going to be counting down now. There was a deliberate interruption. I got through that one in three minutes. That's not bad, all right? A deliberate interruption. But then in verses 3 and 4, there was divine illumination. There was a deliberate... God interrupted His life. But then there was divine illumination. Watch this. The Bible said in verse 3, And suddenly there shined round about Him a light. What was this light? Well, in verse number 3, it was a bright light. That was a light shine. It's daytime. The sun's out shining. Oh, but when Paul gave his testimony later in the book of Acts, he said that light was above the brightness of the sun. It was a great light. Amen. And when you're in darkness and the light of the world steps into your darkness, thank God you saw the light of God's salvation. Ain't Wins May said he saw the light? I don't know if he did or not, but I know when I got saved at the age of five years old, there was a bright light shining. Amen. It was a bright light. It was a blinding light. Verse number 8 of our text, And Saul rose from the earth 
when his eyes were open and he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. Here was Saul. He was blind. He was blind spiritually. But now God has allowed Saul to see himself for what he is and given him physical blindness. And I want to remind us that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of men and women and boys and girls unless the light of the glorious gospel should shine upon them. You know why sinners do what they do? Because they're blind. They say, I don't see nothing wrong with drinking. I don't see nothing wrong with abortion. I don't see nothing wrong with lying or cheating. You know why? The reason they don't see anything wrong with it is because they are blind in their sin. They're blind. But it, this light, this light was a light letting Saul know of his condition. It was a bright light. It was a blinding light. But look at verse number 4. It was a blessed light. Notice in verse number 4, or excuse me, verse number 3, and there shined round about him a light. Watch, here's the blessed light. It was from heaven. Amen. It was from heaven. This light didn't come out of a out of a hardware store. It wasn't one of them big boom lights that you fellas have in your garage. A shot. No, no, no. This light came from heaven. It didn't come from hell. It didn't come from the earth. Oh, but there was a God up in heaven. There was a Savior in heaven. Oh, that loved Saul enough that he turned. Aren't you glad for the day when God turned the light of the gospel on in your life and you realize your sinful condition? This picture is conviction in the life of a sinner. Conviction is simply when a man realizes he is guilty before God. Are you guilty this morning? If you've never seen yourself as guilty, then you've never been saved. If you've never realized that you are a sinner and you are guilty of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, for He died for your sins and He died in your place and you have never been converted. And we find there is a deliberate interruption divine illumination. But then look at verse 5. There was a direct identification. Look at verse number 5, please. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? The Lord Jesus was not trying to deceive Saul. He didn't have an ace up the sleeve. He wasn't trying to... I don't like people to try to trick people into the gospel. I don't care for that. Salvation's not a trickery. God is for forthcoming in what He does. And Saul said, Who art thou, Lord? Here's watch this. Here's the person. He said, I am Jesus. He immediately identified who He was. That's why I don't like these tracks that look like a $100 bill and you open it up and say, God, that's deception. The gospel's not deceptive. We ought not try to trick anybody uh, into the gospel. We ought not try to trick anybody into salvation. You ought to tell somebody when you give them a track, this is a gospel track. This is something from our church. This is about the Word of God. This is about salvation. You ought to tell them what they're getting. Amen. The gospel ain't about trick. Jesus identified Himself. The person, I am Jesus. But then notice the persecuted. Whom thou persecutest. Not only did Jesus inform Saul who he was, but he reminded Saul of who he was. He said, Saul, I'm the persecuted, and you're the persecutor. Saul thought he was persecuting those Christians, but he was really persecuting Christ. Because Jesus told the disciples, if they hate you, it's because they hate me. Amen. He said, uh, Saul, your problem ain't with these churches. you got a problem with me. He, we notice the person and the persecuted. But then notice the pricks. Verse 5, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. The word pricks here gives a connotation of sharp, pointed rocks. And the word picture here is vain resistance. 
Saul thought he was living his life for something worthwhile. And the Lord is telling him, Saul, Saul, you are wasting your life. That's what every sinner is doing who's lost without God. They are wasting their life. Oh, they're out on the lake today. They're having their parties today. Oh, they're enjoying their sin today. Oh, but I tell you what they're doing. They're wasting their life. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Direct identification. Y'all still with me? Notice number four. We're halfway done. Notice the detailed instruction. Look, God told him some things. Watch this in verse number 6. First of all, he said, here's what Paul said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And God gave him some instruction. Don't ask God what, you want, what He wants you to do if you don't want to do something. Here's the first thing he said, arise. Saul responds in submission to God's Word. I believe this was the moment of Saul's conversion. He said, Lord, what would thou have me to do? Immediately he is, he is, and don't let this tell you, but he has admitted the Lordship of Christ. He is, he, he has faith in the Lord. He has repented toward God, faith toward Christ. He said, alright Lord, what do you want me to do? He didn't have a repeated prayer. There wasn't no special words. It looks like almost, Brother Richie, that Saul just believed on the Lord in his heart. And then confessed him, Lord, what would thou have me to do? The Lord said, arise. Don't stay where, don't, don't stay down there where I found you. See, a lot of people want Jesus, but they want their sin too. They want to be saved. They don't want to go to hell, uh, but they want to stay down in the muck and mire of sin. Saul's got knocked off his donkey, laid on the ground. He's blind. And he's, he expressed faith in the Lord. Lord, what would thou have me to do? Get up. Amen. I want to remind you, Psalm 40, you can, you can shout about Psalm 40 being a psalm of salvation. He brought me up also of a horrible pit. But David's already a believer of the Lord in that psalm. Sometimes we get in some sticky messages we've got to have God to help us get out of. Amen. I'm not against somebody using that as a salvation message. Uh, but sometimes you've got, to, you've got to respond. Amen. God, when He saves you, He don't eradicate the flesh. You've got to get up. You've got to leave some places. You've got to get away from some people. God, this ain't going to save you and automatically everything's perfect. No, you got to get up. Get up. Get away from those people. Get away from that influence. Don't lay there. Over and over again, the Lord told that man, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. Get up. Amen. Arise. Then he said, Advance and go into the city. And that should be told what thou must do. Not only did God tell him to get up, God said, Now go on. God did not save you to leave you where He found you. That's what everybody wants in this day. Uh, they just want a little fire insurance and, and, and they want, you know, uh, well, I just want to know I'm not going to go to hell when I die and let me live my life like I want to. That ain't the salvation that's propagated in this Bible. That's not the gospel uh, that we preach at this church. Amen. I'm telling you, when Jesus saves somebody, He changes them from the inside out. He said, get up and go on. That's what some of you need to do this morning. Some of you say you're saved, but you ain't went on. You've not advanced. You've not grown. So I say, you know that? Because it's like pulling hens teeth to get you back here on Sunday night or to get you for Sunday school. Amen. Those are the basics. And we ain't brought up Wednesday night yet. Amen. Advance. Go on. Be here. Be involved. Then he's, and then notice he was to arise. He was to advance. He was to adhere. Verse 6 through 9. 
Go and see verse 7. We read verse 6. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth when his eyes were opened, and he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him to Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither did, did eat nor drink. You know what he did? He obeyed what he was told to do. I preached Wednesday night at Brother Tucker's. I appreciate Brother Richie filling the pulpit for us Wednesday. Done a great job. I preached Brother Tucker's on Wednesday night revival. And I preached that message I preached a couple months ago about Saul uh, wanting to keep the best of Amalek and still worship God. And I made this statement. I probably said it when I was preaching, but it got heavy in my heart Wednesday. God would rather have your obedience than your offering. Amen. Obedience to the Word rather than your offering of worship. A lot of people want to come in and just worship everything okay and then live like, live like the devil Monday through Saturday and then come in on Sunday and worship God. No, God wants an obedient life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Amen. He was that here. Notice number five. The diligent investment. See, beginning in verse number 10 down to verse number 20, the scene begins to change from Saul to a man named Ananias. It's the same story, but the scene's changed. Verse number 10, we notice the Christian. Verse number 10, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, behold, here, uh, behold, I am here, Lord. There's the Christian. He was an individual that most likely Saul would have killed. He lives in Damascus. Notice the command in verse 10 through 12. And the Lord, verse 11, And the Lord said to him, Arise, go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarshish. For behold, he prayeth. He has seen a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. I love this. When Saul, when Saul got saved, God sent him to Straight Street. Amen. When God saves you, He'll send you to Straight Street too. Amen. Send him to the house of this man by the name of Judas. Of course, we know it's not Judas Iscariot. There are multiple people in the Bible named, named Judas. We understand that. And, and that's the command. And, and, and notice, notice the concern. Verse 13 and 14. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy to, to saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. The Lord told Ananias, Ananias, go down to Straight Street, go to Judas's house, and you're going to find a man named Saul of Tarshish, and he's in there praying, and I've done told him, sent him a vision, that you're going to lay your hands on him, he's going to receive a sight. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this the same Saul of Tarshish that we got word was fixing to come and kill us? That's the one. You see his little apprehension? But notice the confirmation, verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go thy way. For he is a chosen vessel unto me. Brother Eddie Davis said that means that, that means that Paul was one of one. How I many you got collectibles and they made maybe a thousand? You've got you know 422 of 1,000. Well, Saul was one of one. He was a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. This was confirmation of the servant. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Boy, wouldn't you like that at your ordination service? And I is going to come in and tell Saul, Saul, we're glad you got saved. You're fixing to get the hound beat out of you for the sake of the gospel. So I'm going to show him how much great things he must suffer. That's what it says. This was confirmation of the servant. You see, Ananias was a little nervous about going to see Saul, wouldn't you? If a man had your name on his death list, and now he's got saved, am I walking into a trap? 
This was confirmation of the servant. But verse 17 was confirmation of Saul. Look at verse 17. And Saul went his way and entered into the house, putting his hands on him and said, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, let me say this. It's possible that the devil is anything then like he is now. Saul sitting in that house blind for three days, not eating and drinking, wondering. Did that even happen? Did I really hear a voice from heaven? Is this salvation true? Has my heart really changed? Come on now. You ever wondered that yourself? And Ananias walks in. And I love this. The first thing he says, Brother Saul, he ain't never heard that kind of lingo before. Hey, man, you talking about the right hand of fellowship. Here's Saul, the persecutor, the one who made havoc of the church, of the one that people were scared, and people have been scared of, and they're still nervous about it. But the first thing he hears is a family term of endearment. Brother. Brother Saul. Hey, man, that blessed me. This meant that Saul was no longer the foe, but he's now in the family. Notice Ananias recounts specific things that happened. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way. How would Ananias know that if God hadn't told him? As thou camest, hast sent me, thou mightest receive thy sight. And watch what he says here. This is interesting. And be filled with the Holy Ghost. Apparently, Brother Richie, Paul got the Holy Ghost when he got saved. See that transition happen in the book of Acts? You know why? Saul don't need the apostles to come lay his hand on him. Because Saul, amen, he, he in his own separate little category. Because God's going to reveal the mystery of the church to Saul. Amen. But here's what Ananias did tell Saul about. He said, Saul, he knew something about being filled with the Holy Ghost. He's in you. But let him control you, Paul. So I said, Preacher, what, is this, what, is this direct inve- what does this investment have to do? You ought to thank God for the people after you got saved, that extended a right hand of fellowship and brought you in the church and took this Bible and said, now this is what we believe about this. And this is why we wear this. And this is why we don't say this. This is why we don't go here. This is why we don't go there. And you ought to give God, you ought to thank God for those. Um, it may have been a Sunday school teacher. It may have been a pastor. It may have been a, another lady in the church, some of you ladies. But thank God for those that took time to teach you and disciple you. Notice the continuation. I love this about Saul. His submission, verse 18, immediately there fell from his eyes that had been scales, and he received his sight forthwith and rose and was baptized. He was submitted. He publicly identified with the Lord by following the Lord in believer's baptism. After he got baptized, notice his sermon, verse 19. And when he received meat, he was strengthened. Then with Saul, certain days with the disciples were at Damascus. And he's fixing to preach his first sermon. Boy, I remember my first sermon. I preached 25 minutes. I was 11, I, was, I say I would have been 10 years old. I turned 11 the next day. And I had to preach on a stool because I was too short to sit over the pulpit. Don't laugh. Brother Richie still has to do that. Amen. <laughs> and, I, and I preached. I preached 25 minutes, which a lot of people, that's impressive. But I read four chapters. <laughs> I was a Bible preacher then, and I'm a Bible preacher now, amen. And, 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 I, and that, I have that tape, and no, you will never hear it, okay? I sound like Daxton preaching, amen. 
But I let them have it. I call them all a bunch of, you know, two-fold child of hell. Everybody's wicked. Everybody needs to get saved in this building, including you, Pastor. Amen. I, mean, I didn't say that, but I say I preach things. I ain't changed much, have I? But, I, but, you know, my first sermon, I wouldn't want you all to hear it. It wasn't that good. I'm not saying that I'm a good preacher, but I feel like I've got better sermons since then. At least I hope I have in almost 21 years of preaching. But Saul's first sermon, it was a dandy. I mean, it was a classic. I mean, you couldn't preach no better first sermon than what Saul preached. What did Saul preach on? Well, watch what he did. Look at verse 20. And straightway, he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. You can't beat that for a first sermon. I mean, you can't beat that for the first sermon you preach on. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Notice, notice the surprise in verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not, watch this now, is this not he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem and came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? They said, This was the same man who was coming to kill us all. But now, he done, if I can use some Rowan County, amen, faith fair language, he done joined up with us. He's one of us now. He ain't killing us, but he's preaching to us. Only Jesus can do something like that. Only the gospel can take a man who came to persecute, and when he got to town, he just took off of preaching Jesus. Notice the solitude, verse 22, interesting verse. But Saul increased more and more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this was very Christ. Between that question mark in verse 21 and that conjunction, verse 22, but two years of solitude in Saul's life, Paul's life. It's believed this is when Galatians 1.17 happens when he goes to the desert of Arabia and God begins to reveal to him truths. You've got to rock of ages Bible to give you that note. I believe that and I agree with that. Before God will use a man, he'll put a man in the corner somewhere Teach him a few things. Let him develop before God sent him out. That solitude. Then notice, I'm almost done, notice the devious intentions. Verse 23 and 24. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. Boy, ain't this a turn to the table? He come to kill people. He young got saved. He's preaching. Now they want to kill him. Notice their problem was with the message. Verse 23. They didn't like what Paul preached. These Jews, more specifically the Judaizers. You Bible students, we preach through the book of Philippians. This, this crowd would stay on Paul's heels for the rest of his ministry. Trying to kill him, trying to do away. Because they believe in adding the law to grace. And Paul said it's Jesus alone and nothing else. The problem was with the message. But their plot was to murder him. Verse 24. But their laying in wait was known of Saul and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Those that oppose the gospel will go to any length to destroy and silence the message. This proves, somebody said, well, if you wouldn't preach the hard on sin, people would like you. Paul preached Jesus and they wanted to kill him. Just preaching truth, they don't care. The devious intentions. But I love this. Notice the disciples' intervention. Verse 25. God once again uses Saul's new family to protect him and be a blessing to him. Only the grace of God can save a man who was going to kill the Christians and use those he was going to kill to protect them from those that wanted to kill him. How did they protect him? It involved a basket. Verse 25, Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. The city had one gate, and they're watching that gate 
some Christians, they said, we've got to get Paul out of here. So what did they do? They made a basket. It had to be a big basket. It had to took some time and some labor to put Paul in that basket. Can you imagine as they put him over that wall? And he, you know, see y'all, you know. I wonder if they said, Saul, we're glad you got saved. Saul, wherever you go, you just tell it. Saul said, I will. I'm going to tell it everywhere I go. They don't know as they're letting that rope down that the man that's in that basket is going to be the man that's going to have the mystery of the church revealed. They don't know that that's the man that's going to write 13, possibly 14 New Testament books. They're letting that rope down. They just think they're just helping a brother. But they say, hey, hey, don't let him down too fast now. Let's be careful. Let's make sure he gets down there safely. Is anybody in your basket? You trying to help somebody? You trying to be a blessing to a young Christian? You trying to be a blessing to a... You know what the Timothy comfort is? Bring a bunch of young preachers in and put them in our basket. Trying to help them out. Amen. It costs 6000 It's going to cost us around $6,000 for those two days. That's an expensive basket. But there might be a Paul in that bunch. And we're just letting them down a little bit. Get them to the next place. There'll be preachers. I've had them tell me there's preachers coming to the meeting in a low place. Their church is dead. This is not a good situation. But they're going to come in here in them two days. We're going to try to light a fire under them. What we're doing, we're just letting them down in that basket. Come on, you can go preach. Amen. Thank God for those that put me in their basket. Involved a basket. Verse 26 and 27 it involved Barnabas. Saul comes to Jerusalem. He's going to join himself with the disciples. They're all afraid of him. They're all afraid. This is the same guy persecuted. But look at verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the disciples, to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and out and going to Jerusalem. God used Barnabas to be a blessing to that young preacher. It involved the basket, it involved Barnabas, it involved the brethren. Verse 29. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. Once again, everywhere Paul went, he preached Jesus and people got mad. But it was the church, it was the brethren, it was the people of God coming to his aid, protecting him. They didn't realize what God was going to do with Saul. They were just helping a brother in the Lord. And you never know who you might have an influence on that could do something for God. Involve the brethren. Last of all, and this is this don't really deal with Saul much, but there was a definite impact. Verse thirty one, Saul's gone, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. Saul's salvation brought edification to the church. They were edified, brought engagement, they walked in the fear of the Lord, and brought expansion, they were multiplied. All because one man got saved. And I've I done that to complete my text and be homiletically correct, but I, I want to thank God for all those that put me in their basket. I want to thank God for those that had compassion on a young preacher. Amen. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Who lets a guy like that preach? There are some people that have me in their basket. Who votes in a 21-year-old preacher who, looking back on it, had no business pastoring? Some people, uh, in fact, at my ordination, the man preached my ordination, preached that text 
about hold the rope, somebody's in your basket. And talked about Paul being that young preacher. Some of y'all is at my ordination, remember that. I want to thank God that I've been in some people's baskets. He went, you know what? God has given me a basket. And God's given you a basket. Who's in your basket this morning? You know who Saul was? He's a young Christian. He's a young preacher. He's a young convert. Don't know anything. But them people, they would, they just didn't, you know, say, all right, Paul, do the best you can. They let him down easy in that rope. Amen. Thank God for those that put me in their basket. That's a blessing to me. Amen. Not trying to be sentimental, but I, I was in Brother Larry's basket. Brother Larry had me in his basket. Brother Larry, they, amen. I thank God for that. Men on my council. Brother Larry was on my council. Other men, people, people here at this church. Some of y'all, I'm still in your basket. Some of y'all think I'm a basket case. I am. I'm in your basket. But you know what? You're in my basket. We're in this thing together. You know why we're all here today? I didn't know any of y'all 15 years ago. I didn't know anybody in this room 15 years ago. Didn't even know my wife. She said those were the good old days. (laughs) Come on, Brother Matthew. Didn't know anybody 15 years ago. But you know what got us all together? You know what got us in that hospital room that night? 